God is doing big things, and I wonder if he's doing them with a good sense of humor. We're here gathered together to hear about great opportunities to be of service all over the planet as God's building his kingdom. And what do we start by doing? Talking about diarrhea. (laughs) So welcome to here. Welcome to the beginning of the series of talks and breakout sessions and plenary things. We're hoping that God would be able to inspire all of us with greater glimpses of himself and of what he's doing in the world and how he wants to, each of us to fit into that in the years to come. But we realize that God is a practical God too. He cares about things like kids dying with diarrhea, about parents struggling to keep their kids healthy enough. So we won't be ashamed that with all the glorious things going on in the world, we're talking about diarrhea. But who are all of we? I'm Phil. I'm a pediatrician. Um, How many of you are not clinically involved with kids or medicine or anything? How many of you are non-clinical people? My wife will probably raise her hand. Two of you, three, four of you, okay. And how many of you do clinical work but no pediatrics, really? Good. And how many of you do clinical work with lots of kids? Oh, it warms my heart to see you all. All right. So whether we're dealing with clinical stuff or kids or whatever else, we're going to talk a bit about diarrhea. You what? What category would you like? You do what? You have everything to do with diarrhea. If there's diarrhea in the world, it is her fault. Uh, If there's no diarrhea in the world, thank her for it then. Uh, So there are lots of ways we can learn about diarrhea. We can learn about global health. We can learn what we can do. One of those ways is to be here now. We'll interact. We'll talk. We'll show some pictures. We'll talk about some things. Another thing is, if you're more techno-savvy than I am, I think you can go to the Global Missions Health Conference website, and you can pull up the PowerPoint of all these slides with the references listed. Have any of you been on the website to see if it works? Cool. We have opportunities for the techies in the group. I think you can get all these slides yourself there. If that doesn't work, you can email me. My email address is there, fisher.phil at mayo.edu, and I can send you at least the Word slides if it's not. Good to see you, sir. Wow, this is so fun. I've got friends from Rochester, Minnesota hanging out here, even, even if he thinks he's from Texas now or India or something. Anyway, so email me if you want more information. Or if you want to go more global, you can go to the World Health Organization website. There's a website there you can get from me or off the slides uh, that will tell you everything you need to know about diarrhea. For those that care about kids, last year, the American, actually technically this year, 2012, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a book called Textbook of Global Child Health that talks about diarrhea. There's an art, a chapter in there written by a couple people in Indiana, uh, but about diarrhea around the world and how we can deal with that. So there are resources available so we can be prepared, and hopefully none of us will be put to sleep with diarrhea this afternoon, as this poor little toddler once was. But we'll talk a bit about diarrhea. What causes diarrhea? That is a question for interaction. What causes diarrhea? What? What I, I heard something over here. Infection, I heard. Parasite, I heard. I did hear you were coming back to your thought. I heard infection. I heard parasite. Worms. Malnutrition. Tell us again what you said. Contamin- so well, there are lots of different answers. The more medical ones of us started thinking about germs and specific infections that can do this. 
the more global of us clinical people thought broader and said HIV, malnutrition, those are system-wide, full-body problems that can lead to diarrhea. But some look at the bigger picture and say, it's dirty water that does it. She's smarter than me. She said contaminated. I said dirty because I'm a pediatrician. So there are lots of things that cause diarrhea. Sure, germs cause diarrhea. But lack of hygiene causes diarrhea. Why is there lack of hygiene? Maybe it's because of a political problem. Some people, nobody here yet, some people think witchcraft causes diarrhea. Some of us, when we feel really guilty or really stressed, get diarrhea. Lots of things can cause diarrhea. So we should not just focus on germs, even though we're about to for most of the next 45 minutes, uh, but we should realize there are bigger picture issues going on. This is a family I visited in the Horn of Africa, Northeast Africa. This is the place where they live. Their roof is made of old rags. They're in a one-room place, no electricity, no water, um, no running water, unless they run back up from a river about 500 yards away. Um, Diarrhea can happen for lots of reasons that relate largely to hygiene, even though the germ might be the exact immediate cause. It's a hygiene, clean, safe water issue that can be part of the problem. Down the hall, there's a guy speaking. Um, I was in Northeast Africa once making rounds on the, my side of the pediatric ward. I looked over toward the surgical side and saw Dick Bransford with his son there um, as they were making rounds, a couple of surgeons. He's a visionary, wonderful guy. I'm sorry you're not in his thing down the hall right now, but you might be able to meet him later. Um, but I saw the two of them, and I thought this was such a beautiful father-son picture. Two surgeons helping out in Africa. And I came home and looked at my pictures, and I realized there's another message in this picture that maybe the fact that there was a bodyguard with an AK-47 to make rounds safe says that there are other issues. There are political issues, security issues, that affect why children are sick, how children get care, and how they get better. So we care about diarrhea, not just the germs, but also the political and the home and the hygienic situations that can do it. Inadequate sanitation can be a cause of diarrhea. Insecure food supplies. And even incomplete immunizations. Immunizations prevent diseases that can predispose to diarrhea. So there are lots of different causes of diarrhea. And it's not as simple as what I said earlier, joking with her, if there's diarrhea, it's her fault for no clean water. We could say it's the politician's fault, it's the whatever else fault. We could say it's the sovereignty of God. Or we could say it's an opportunity that we can actually help both prevent and treat diarrhea. But why should we care about diarrhea? Maybe I should ask that question to all the people that are not here, uh, because obviously we're here and we do care. I think there are lots of reasons to care about diarrhea, and one is that I don't like having diarrhea. It's not fun. It's not convenient as an individual or as a parent. Here, my wife with our five children, I have these five. Two of them have had diarrhea on two different continents. Three of them have had diarrhea on three different continents. As we travel the world, we get diarrhea in exotic places. Diarrhea affects life. But it's not just an inconvenience. Around the world, kids get sick enough to die because of diarrhea. There are about 750,000 deaths related to diarrhea each year in the world. That means that about six kids have died since we started talking seven minutes ago um, because of their diarrhea. It's common enough that if we look at statistics and average, each child gets about, each preschool child gets about three cases, three bouts of diarrhea each year. That means there are about two billion cases of diarrhea each year in the world. And it's killing, um, this was from a few years ago, said one and a half million deaths. Um, whether it's 750,000 or one and a half million depends on how we count. But that's a lot. 
And besides that, diarrhea contributes to malnutrition, and malnutrition is responsible for another 7 million deaths every year. A lot of kids are sick and inconvenienced. A lot of kids are sick and becoming malnourished and dying. A lot of kids are sick and just directly dying with diarrhea. Diarrhea is a big deal, and families suffer from it. When a child is sick, the whole family suffers. When the parents are taking care of the child, they're not working in the garden, going to work, making money, they don't eat as much. The whole family is perturbed because of diarrhea. And fortunately, the politicians and the nations of the world have actually agreed to try to stop diarrhea. Some of us are aware of what we call the Millennium Development Goals. About 189 countries of the world agreed just before the year 2000 uh, to try to do eight things to improve the health of the world. And many of those eight things, listed here with small print that you can't read but you can find on the website, uh, many of these things relate directly to diarrhea. Some because we want to combat diarrhea, so there are fewer kids with diarrhea. That's one of the goals. But there are other goals, like improving water and sanitation, goals of eliminating severe hunger and poverty. The world has agreed to try to meet these goals, and there are specific standards to meet the goals, and progress is being made. That's part of why in 2007 there are 1.5 million childhood deaths each year. Now it's about half that uh, related to diarrhea. So let's get clinical. Let's talk practically. We realize lots of things cause diarrhea. We realize it's really common. We realize it's really bad. And we want to help people not get it and not die from it. So a 15-month-old child presents to us, us that are doing clinical work. What is our immediate first primary concern? I heard dehydration. I heard hydration. I heard something else. Sick or well. Ah, now here's a good doctor. What do you do? All right, here's a pediatrician that wants to know first, let me categorize this child. Is this child sick or not very sick? That's going to change a lot of what we do. So we're going to take care of the child depending on how sick the child is. And the two others that I heard answers come from are saying the biggest issue about how sick is probably the hydration status. We know the child's going to have bacteremia and sepsis and lots of things going on outside the GI tract. But if we look statistically for most the three biggest causes and three biggest immediate concerns about the child are hydration, hydration, and hydration. We have to care about the fluid status of the child, and that will be our most immediate concern. So there are different ways to classify dehydration. When I was young, I learned a way that had four classifications. Now life is much simpler because smart people like the World Health Organization have three different ways of classifying. It's either early, some, or really bad, severe. Early dehydration means there's not much you can see to show for it. Either they're not dehydrated or there's not much there. Some dehydration, the child's extra thirsty, a bit restless, maybe irritable. Um, maybe the skin is feeling a little bit floppy and the eyes are sinking back. And then I would say as a pediatrician, even though the WHO didn't put it there, the mouth is getting a bit dry. The well or sick, the sick is the severe. This is a sick child with more severe of all that other stuff, but now getting shocky tachycardic, blood pressure may be dropping, not making any urine, getting a little bit sleepy, obtunded, lethargic, not acting normally. So hydration matters, and as we look at where hydration is, is a child not too sick or really sick? So we're going to classify by looking at the child and hearing the story, how much urine, how the child's been doing, how much dehydration there is. 
So another multiple choice question we're going to answer with the ARS. That's the arm raising system, not the mechanical thing. Uh, so for a child with acute gastroenteritis, intravenous fluids are indicated if A, B, C, or D. Frequent vomiting, some dehydration, severe dehydration, or all of those. How many say just A? How many say just B? How many say just C? And how many say all of the above? And half of you didn't vote. Okay. Uh, so if we go with consensus of people that have studied diarrhea, the right answer would be severe dehydration. Vomiting a lot is not a reason that we need to give intravenous hydration uh, because usually we can go orally and enough will still be absorbed, even if the child's vomiting a bunch, that we'll be able to rehydrate the child orally. When the child is severely dehydrated, already getting a little shocky, um, getting a bit obtunded, not responding normally, um, blood pressure, hemodynamic changes are there, um, then we would think about intravenous fluids. Because of just vomiting or mild, some dehydration, we don't need to start intravenous fluids. Intravenous fluids can have side effects. We would want to save them for when we need them. How much fluid should we give if we have a child with diarrhea with that early, not very much dehydration, then we would just say every time the child has a loose stool, give a bunch of extra fluid. So about 100 cc's for a young child, 100 milliliters, each time the child has a stool of fluid we would give, and the child would continue with the regular diet. If the child has some dehydration, then we would give about 75 cc's of fluid for each kilogram the child weighs, 10 kilogram child gets 750 cc's. We would give that orally, and we would do it with frequent feedings orally over about a four-hour period. If the child is severely dehydrated, we go with about 100 cc's per kilo. Severe dehydration, if we're in a setting where we can do it, we would start IV. And then once the child can take it orally, we would switch to the oral. We would try to get 30 cc's per kilo in in the first hour, to reestablish the child to be not severely dehydrated, and then we would continue with the rest of the 100 cc's per kilo over about a six-hour period to get the child back to normal hydration. If a child has gastroenteritis, the primary concern is hydration. We grade the hydration not much, some are severe. We go with oral hydration, either extra per each stool if the child's not dehydrated, or 75 cc's per kilo over four hours if the child's mildly dehydrated, some. Um, or if the child's severely dehydrated, we start IV to reverse the shock and then continue orally after that. Hydration is what's going to matter. Studies have been done to look at should it be oral or should it be intravenous. One of the great results of the research in the 1940s and 1950s was to find the right way to give intravenous fluids. One of the great problems of the 1980s and 90s was too many people going intravenously and getting side effects rather than realizing for less dehydrated people we could go orally. So a bunch of studies have been done, less in the developing world and more in the developed world, to help retrain Americans and Europeans and Australians to realize that oral might still be better. So this slide summarizes a few studies that were put together in a Cochrane database review uh, published about six years ago. And if you compare oral versus intravenous hydration for those some dehydration kids, um, they have equal weight gain as they recover, whether they get their fluids orally or IV. They have the same duration of diarrhea, 
and they have the same risk of going too high or too low on their serum sodium levels. So they seem to work about the same way. Kids that get oral treatment are hospitalized for less time. Um, they have some paralytic ileus. Their intestines slow down. And occasionally they fail. One out of 25 kids, it doesn't work, and you have to switch to IV. If you go with the IV intravenous fluids, about one out of 50 kids is going to get phlebitis, inflammation, and infection of the veins where the IV was in, and complications because of the IV. And those that are getting the IV hydration end up staying in the hospital longer because once you've started at IV, it's taking longer for people to try the oral route. Um, so studies would say that the intravenous route has some risks and it's not necessarily better. Many of us will be working in places where finances make a big difference in our care, and the oral therapy is usually a lot less expensive. What oral formula should we use to be able to give fluids? The old way was to give really salty stuff, the ORS, oral rehydration solution, that came from the World Health Organization. But studies have been done to make that even better. So this is a report you see on the slide there of children between three and three months and three years of age um, that were severely malnourished and had cholera in Bangladesh. This is like the worst of the worst sick kids malnutrition with the worst of the worst diarrhea um, because it's cholera that's causing the secretory diarrhea. And in those kids, they compared different forms of oral rehydration solution, whether they used rice or whether they used glucose as the base. And if they used the rice instead of just sugar, there was less stooling, they needed less fluid, but the diarrhea still persisted about the same time which seems to say that for malnourished kids, you need a different sort of carbohydrate than just sugar mixed with your sugar-salt solution. And so rice-based carbohydrate formulas could work a little bit better. For non-cholera diarrhea, so more usual, typical kids that don't have the secretory cholera diarrhea, uh, people have tried changing how salty the fluid is, changing the osmolarity, the concentration of the formula, and if you use a lower osmolality formula, then you don't need to use as much fluid for the kids. They don't need the IV fluids, they don't put out as much stool, and they don't vomit as much. So the original oral rehydration solution tasted really, really salty. If you're really dehydrated, you don't mind that as much as the rest of us might this afternoon. Uh, but it was found it doesn't need to be that salty. Practically, what does that mean? It means instead of the WHO formula, you can use something like what is branded as Pedialyte in this country. Pedialyte is a sugar-salt solution with the right amount of sugar and less salt than the original WHO formula, but actually works a little bit better if it's not cholera-causing the diarrhea. So we can perfect the formula a little bit. It depends a little bit on what kinds of diarrhea the patient has. And the WHO has now changed things. So this is a picture of the UNICEF-provided formula. You can probably see there it's from a few years ago now, but it's the new formulation, low osmolarity. Um, so science is moving on, and things are changing since some of us were trained. And so we can actually have better sugar-salt solution than we used to. And if the child's malnourished, we'll change the kind of sugar supply with carbohydrates. We'll change the concentrations. So this is a UNICEF and WHO provided one called Resomol, which is especially useful for rehydration of dehydrated kids who are also severely malnourished. So our main concern is hydration. If the child is really, really dry, then we're going to give it intravenously initially. Otherwise, we go orally. 
Treating orally for most kids with diarrhea, we'll use the routine low osmolarity Pedialyte WHO kind of formula. If the child has cholera um, and is malnourished, or if the child's just malnourished, we'll increase our carbohydrate load and we'll use the Resimol. So Resimol is useful for malnourished kids. Low osmolality formula useful for most of the other kids. Hydration matters. So what have we said so far? We've said that for kids with diarrhea, hydration is important. Oral rehydration is usually better than intravenous rehydration, except for those that are severely dehydrated. Low osmolarity oral rehydration solution is usually best, and we use that special carbohydrate mix formula for the severely malnourished kids. Any comments or rebuttals or disagreements or clarifications so far? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Am I going to give recipes? Yes, because you asked. Um, and I don't like the recipes because they're nice. The old way was to say a palm full, a handful of sugar, and a pinch of salt. Or you could do it and say it's about 25 grams of sugar if you're going to weigh it out like table sugar. And it's about 3 grams of table salt. Um, so you could do it that way, 25 grams of sugar, 3 grams of table salt mixed in a liter of clean water, and that can do it. The reason I don't normally like to give recipes is that's the recipe you can do in the kitchen. If you're really going to do it right, you would throw in a little bicarbonate and a little bit of potassium, which you don't have sitting around your kitchen very conveniently. And in most places that treat kids, it's easier and safer and more accurate if you just get the formula that the WHO and UNICEF and pharmacies supply, so you can go that way. Um, so I wasn't going to give the recipe, but now I did. Uh, pinch of sugar, handful of salt, and it usually works. Uh, and then other places will change that if they don't have liter bottles, but their local bottles they use are a different size, so you can be practical. Yeah. You had something else? Oh, same question. Good. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. Any other questions? So the question, somebody's recording this on one of these microphones. Um, so question, what about kids that are really dehydrated, in shock, and it's hard or impossible to get the IV in? How can you do it? You can put the NG tube down. Child's too lethargic to drink. You can put a nasogastric tube in. You can give fluid that way. You can use the normal oral rehydration stuff. But that child is already shocky, won't absorb it very well, and that would take a little bit more time. So that's okay if that's the only option, and you can do that while you're waiting for the others. When I was a resident, back before electricity was invented, uh, um, intraosseous lines were considered criminal and inhumane. Now we know that we were wrong. They're actually very good. You can get either an official bone trocar or a really big IV and stick it into the tibia of the child so the needle goes into the bone marrow, and you can give fluids that way. So if you're going to be taking care of severely dehydrated kids and you can't get IVs in, it'd be nice to have a couple of those needles and a little experience so you can stick the 
thing in. You don't have to worry about infection much because you just wipe it off with alcohol, and you're going to get it in. You're going to give the immediate fluids, and then as the child's getting better, you'll probably be able to go back to the NG or the oral. If not, you'll have better hydration and can give IV. There are some online ways you can find YouTube sorts of things that talk about how to stick the needle in and show it all. Um, so it's possible to do IO. So that would be the reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Subcutaneous administration is, in my mind, not worthwhile. Um, if you put the fluid in the body, it will be absorbed, but it won't be absorbed quickly enough to make a difference. It'll be absorbed less quickly than the stomach stuff would be. So I would say if you can't give it IV or IO, you're going to be doing the NG tube. And if the child's not severely dehydrated, you're just going to be going orally anyway. So subcutaneous takes too long to get absorbed to make it useful. So now our 15-month-old is a different one. We're the same one. The 15-month-old had diarrhea and is now being hydrated. What else should we be concerned about? Don't you hate these guess-what-he's-thinking questions? But that's what real life is. The child doesn't come in and say, okay, you get multiple choice. No, the child says, what else are you going to do? I'm being hydrated. What else are we concerned about? The cause, good. And even before I think about specific treatment for the cause, you can choose one of these, multiple choice. Um, nutrition. We need to nourish the child. The longer the child is without nutrition, the longer the diarrhea lasts, the more trouble there's going to be with subsequent infections and subsequent health problems. So for a dehydrated child with gastroenteritis, when should we restart the child's regular dietary intake? Breastfeeding for the baby, formula, milk, food, hamburgers, whatever for the older child. When should you start the regular diet compared to when the child's sick and dehydrated? After you have after the diarrhea is all gone, after the initial rehydration, after the vomiting stops, or right at the beginning, see the kid dehydrated, start their regular diet in addition to the oral rehydration stuff. How many are going for A, resolution of diarrhea? Good. That would be two or three or four days. We don't want to wait. After the initial rehydration? Yes, that's the right answer based on what is published in consensus guidelines. If you wait for the vomiting, you might wait too long. If the child takes in orally, the child will keep some in, even if some vomits, and that helps the intestines get working in the right direction. But if the child is dehydrated, it's better to take that four to six hours to correct the dehydration before we expect the stomach to be able to handle food normally. So after the initial rehydration, which means four to six hours after presentation, we're going to be going with the normal food, breastfeeding, whatever else, and get the normal food going. All right, yes. If the child is malnourished, that's different, yes. If the child is severely malnourished, everything is different. Um, have you heard of the 10 steps? This is not an Alcoholics Anonymous thing. Uh, so the World Health Organization has a very nice stepwise thing, what to do for se acu uh, severe acute malnutrition, Available on the website, Googling WHO, acute, or severe acute malnutrition. Um, you can get guidelines and books, or if you get that American Academy of Pediatrics book, it runs through all the steps in there. Uh, malnourished kids, yes, you are going to hydrate carefully. Yes, you're going to nourish carefully. There are special formulas you're going to use for the nutrition when you start it. So, yes, if the child's severely malnourished, mid-upper arm circumference less than 11.5, or... 
the height for age, height for weight thing is below the third standard deviation of minus 3z score. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Good. Those that it doesn't sound familiar to, WHO, severe acute malnutrition, because malnutrition matters overseas. But yes, malnutrition matters for everything. So it changes the formula, changes the speed, changes the nutrition. Very good point. Okay, somebody else said, what's wrong with a child? What's the cause of the diarrhea? So here a one-year-old has diarrhea. When might antibiotics, when might antimicrobial therapy help? We get to vote on this when you see your options. A, if the child's vomiting, give antibiotics. If the family is stressed, give antibiotics. If the family is rich, give antibiotics. Or if the diarrhea is bloody, give antibiotics. How many say A, vomiting means antibiotics? How many chose either B or C, stressed or rich? In real life, how many of you cave in when the family begs because they're really stressed or they're really rich? All right. Well, some of you do work in Rochester, and you still don't cave in. That's good. Um, and D, if the diarrhea is bloody, yes, that means maybe antibiotics would be useful. Hydration and nutrition matter more. We need to deal with hydration and nutrition before we think about antibiotics, but antibiotics could be useful. For a child with acute diarrhea overseas in a developing country sort of setting, we have to know if the diarrhea is bloody. If we don't have access to lab testing, then we'll have two questions to help us decide what specific medication to give. First question, is it bloody, yes or no? And if yes, does the child have a high fever? If the child has bloody diarrhea with a high fever, then there's a fair likelihood that bacteria are causing the diarrhea. And the most common bacteria in developing countries would be Shigella. And so we would give an antibiotic for presumed Shigellosis. The resistance patterns, antibiotic susceptibility patterns of Shigella vary from place to place. So hopefully you'll know which antibiotic to use, whether it's ciprofloxacin or cefixime or azithromycin or whatever, depending on your local resistance patterns with Shigella. Bloody diarrhea in a child with a high fever, think about an antibiotic for possible Shigellosis. Bloody diarrhea in a child with no fever, we're going to think about a parasitic cause like amoebiasis, due to Entamoeba histolytica, and then we would use metronidazole as treatment. Yeah? What about E. coli? So there are some things that antibiotics are not going to help that can cause diarrhea in kids with blood. If the child has salmonellosis, gastroenteritis, blood in the stool due to salmonella, antibiotics won't help. They might even prolong the carrier state, but at least they won't help. If the child has diarrhea because of E. coli, of whatever form of E. coli, antibiotics won't help. And if the child has E. coli 0157H7, that's the one that causes hemolytic uremic syndrome, HUS. If you give antibiotics to a child with bloody diarrhea due to E. coli 0157H7, there's an increased risk that the child will go on to develop hemolytic uremic syndrome. So where in the world is this kind of E. coli most likely? In places where there's industrial use of cattle. So in most of the developing world, you don't have industrialized cattle. There's less E. coli 015787, and you would go ahead and treat presumptively, guessing that it's Shigella, uh, because Shigella can be bad and last a long time. In this country, United States, where there's lots of diarrhea and there are lots of industrialized cattle, you won't treat the child with bloody diarrhea until you do culture tests to see what germ is causing it and what the susceptibilities are, and then you might treat. 
So in a developing country setting without industrialized cattle, you could presume there's less E. coli 015787, and you can presumptively treat for probable shigellosis. In a place with industrialized cattle, or and in a place where you have labs, lab facilities, you'll continue with the hydration and the nutrition, and you'll wait for culture results or stool parasite results um, to see what the germs are that are causing it before you give antibiotics. Yeah? Do I have any hesitations about using fluoroquinolones in kids? Not much. Officially, fluoroquinolones, ciprofloxacin, levofloxacin, are approved in the United States for people 18 years of age and older. Um, in the people of any age, you can have Achilles tendon rupture. In young animals, fluoroquinolones can lead to cartilage development problems. So it's thought that maybe in kids there might be more cartilage development trouble. So we don't usually use the fluoroquinolones unless we've exhausted our other options. But they're not all that terribly dangerous, so I don't hesitate that much. But if I had a choice between two things that help for Shigella, I would use the other one before the fluoroquinolone probably. Other thoughts on bloody diarrhea? Did that answer your thing about the E. coli? Yeah. Uh, there are other kinds of E. coli that don't do the HUS, but very, very good question. All right, now a one-year-old has diarrhea. You've handled the hydration. No antimicrobial therapy is indicated. What else might help? It's a child with acute gastroenteritis. Our options are vitamin A, zinc, loperamide. Some people call that Imodium by the brand name. Ondansetron that some people call Zofran. And lactobacillus, a probiotic. How many think vitamin A will help a child with acute diarrhea? How many say zinc will help a child with acute diarrhea? How many say loperamide will help a child with acute diarrhea? How many say ondansetron? How many say lactobacillus? Very interesting. So if this was election week in a democracy, we would say that lactobacillus is the right answer because it won the vote. But if we use an electoral college, we might put the pharmacist to be the one. Anyway, what science say about it? I took this picture in India. Uh, Christo's working in India and he'll soon be working there again. Uh, I took this in a different part of India from where he'll be, but I was walking down the street, and I thought this was great. Big sign for the drug house, a house of quality medicine. People want to go in and get medicine, but that's not the whole sign. In fine print up the side, it said doctors available. <laughs> I know pharmacists are more important than doctors. But I would suggest to you that we need to think about what drugs we give, what medications, and we need to use evidence-based science to help us decide which things will help. So vitamin A to treat diarrhea, there have been literature reviews done of five different studies. Three of those studies showed that vitamin A made no different no difference. One study said the diarrhea is a little bit shorter in kids that were no longer breastfeeding. And the other study said there were maybe more people that were culture negative for Shigella five days later. If you add up all the studies together, vitamin A doesn't do much. It's probably not worth it. Vitamin A is wonderful for lots of other things, but for the treatment of acute diarrhea does not make a significant difference. What about zinc? Lots of studies have been done in developing countries. That means presuming they're done in a place where more kids have, less, have lower zinc levels. So if there's some mild zinc malnutrition in the area, that doesn't mean it would apply in this country where people are eating a lot more zinc and have normal levels. But literature review 15 studies in developing countries. People that got zinc had less likelihood of having long-term persistent diarrhea. They produced a third less stool, and only half as many died of their acute diarrhea if they got zinc. Zinc seems to be a good thing, but some people vomit a little more when they take the zinc pills. 
so what do we say about zinc for acute diarrhea? It works in developing countries, so let's use it in a place where there's presumed zinc deficiency. You don't need to give yourself zinc if you get diarrhea in this country because you were probably not zinc deficient before you started. Doses are here, 20 milligrams once a day for kids more than six months of age. Continue for 10 to 14 days even after the diarrhea is better. Half dose of 10 milligrams a day for 10 to 14 days um, for kids that are less than six months of age. Question marks based on limited studies um, just where that age cutoff should be. Zinc comes, it's available in most places, you buy it around the world. Uh, this, I took this picture in North Africa, it was produced in Bangladesh, zinc gets around. Loperamide, lots of studies have been done about loperamide. It's useful in slowing down diarrhea in anybody that takes it. It's useful in adults in decreasing the amount of water loss. Otherwise, it just slows down how often you empty your intestines of all the fluid. Uh, but there is a little bit less diarrhea after the first day. But in young children, there's a risk of serious adverse effects. Some of it's by causing an overwhelming ileus, slowing the intestines with dysmotility so kids get sicker. Um, sometimes there can be even rare neurologic effects. So I would say avoid the use of loperamide in kids less than three. I don't actually use it in kids less than five and rarely in any child. It helps a little bit, but it's got a risk of other things. And some people that speak Latin say something about primum non nocere and do no harm. What about ondansetron that some of us think of as Zofran? There have been some studies done, a bunch of studies, um, in sicker kids getting intravenous fluids. More kids stopped vomiting sooner if they got the ondansetron. So it worked to cut down the vomiting. Fewer kids, but it's not really much fewer statistically, required hospitalizations. And it seems like that might be useful in some settings. Ondansetron is fairly expensive. It doesn't make a big difference. In a resource-limited area, I wouldn't even think about using it. In this country, I might think about using it, but I don't usually because I don't want to interfere with the main things, which are hydration and nutrition, rather than getting distracted thinking, take a medicine, and then you don't have to drink so much when we still need to drink. Probiotics might be useful. The trouble with probiotics is we don't know which probiotic will be useful. We don't know which probiotic is useful for which kind of diarrhea, and we don't know what dose of it to give. So a bunch of different probiotics have been tried. Some of them work. Some of them don't work. I think there's going to be an answer that eventually we'll know for the average child with bad diarrhea which probiotic to give, but we don't know yet, and some of them don't do any good. So I can't actually recommend any probiotic use for diarrhea just because science hasn't advanced enough to figure out which probiotic and which dose for which sorts of kids. So our child has diarrhea. We've took, taken care of everything else. Zinc is the answer there if we're in a resource-limited or developing country. What about chronic diarrhea? Sometimes the diarrhea lasts for more than a week or two. If we think it's giardiasis, giardia parasite, causing the diarrhea, then we would give metronidazole, 5 milligrams per kilogram, three times a day for a five-day course. Um, Giardia is usually the bloated, gassy, burpy, foul, foul-smelling stool um, we treat for Giardia. Cryptosporidium causes a similar sort of diarrhea to what Giardia does, common in lots of parts of the world, anywhere from Morocco to Milwaukee. Half a million people had Cryptosporidium in Milwaukee about 15 years ago when it contaminated their water supply. Common in other parts of the world, nitazoxanide is a poorly known and an under-recognized medication, which can actually be useful for cryptosporidium in immunocompetent people. And if a child has chronic diarrhea, it might not be an infection. 
It might be, well, it might be an infection like HIV systemically or tuberculosis. It might be irritable bowel syndrome. It might be inflammatory bowel disease. So chronic diarrhea, we'll think about other things as well. So how do we summarize this for our yearish year old child with diarrhea acutely? What should we do? Hydrate. We should start the regular diet when the child's no longer dehydrated. In a developing country where there aren't a lot of industrialized cows and E. coli 0157H7 around, we would think about a diet, uh, sorry, think about an antibiotic if the diarrhea is bloody. We would give zinc if we're in a developing country, and we should not let it happen again. What can we do to prevent diarrhea? I would suggest that the person that was here earlier and left is probably out preventing diarrhea. She's the water engineer dealing with clean water systems. We need to fix the system that's allowing so many kids to get diarrhea. That means good nutrition, good sanitation, and good vaccination. And as my friend Samarita used to say, so what? And there was the answer. Her hands were held out open. If we do something with our hands, we can prevent diarrhea. Um, but there are other things that people have tried besides just hand washing. Vitamin A has been tried to prevent diarrhea, and it doesn't make much difference. Vitamin A is great for other things, but it does not prevent diarrhea very well. But hand washing does. Great study was done by teaching Australian Aborigines to wash their hands. They cut down the incidence of diarrhea in half. That's pretty impressive. Hand washing makes a difference. Um, some studies were done in California. Hand washing and hand sanitizers in the classroom cut down school absences in California by 39%. Wow. So if you want to miss school, don't wash your hands. Uh, some people have been afraid that there's salmonella on reptiles and they scrub their pet snakes before they, uh, before they play with them. Uh, and I think the example is maybe from my son when he was younger, growing up in the Congo. Um, we have to join with other people, work together with systems, with individuals, prevention, treatment to help. Uh, and I think that it's good to join hands together and work with people. But I'm more concerned about his friend Bapu, who is so excited he's about to wet his pants in, those pic in that picture, uh, because we can do something to help them with diarrhea. Clean hands do save lives, um, whether we write that in Mongolian or in English. Um, and there are people around the world waiting for us to fill their cups with clean water, with good food, to help them stay healthy, to help them recover when they get diarrhea. So we won't spend a lot more time loitering on the toilet. Um, but I would be, and we won't be surgeons either, by the way. I don't know what this statue was supposed to mean, but I saw this statue in Thailand, and I don't know what this surgeon was doing with a sword stuck up his bottom. Uh, maybe it was to treat diarrhea. Maybe it was hemorrhoids. Uh, but we need to focus on what really matters. And if we focus the bottom lines, um, would be that if it's acute diarrhea, we'll hydrate usually orally, we'll nourish soon. If it's bloody diarrhea acutely, we'll think about an antibiotic in a developing country if the child's febrile. We'll think about metronidazole for amoebiasis if the child's not febrile. If it's acute diarrhea in a developing country, we'll give the child zinc. And if we really care, we'll work not just for the individual sick kids, but on the systems that can help prevent diarrhea. So we've got about eight minutes left by the official schedule for whatever questions, comments, rebuttals, or better insights. Some of you have worked in a lot of places in the world I haven't been to. Yeah.
So, so good comment. I'll summarize it for the microphone that's recording this for later. What do we tell people while we're getting wells and good water and good sanitation to prepare their drinks at home so that they won't get diarrhea from them? We could say boil the water. Most people are going to be cooking. That's a reasonable thing. It sounds easy. It might mean they have to walk farther and spend more money to get the wood to make the fire to boil the water. Um, we could say to iodine treat or bleach chlorine treat or do something to the water. That turns out to be expensive. It might change the taste. If you put the wrong amount in, a pregnant woman drinks the iodine-laced water and has some problems from it. We could say to set up a solar system, not the whole sun and planets, uh, but a sun system where the water sits in the sun and warms up, not even to very hot, but sitting in the sun with special systems can help purify the water. Uh, I don't have a good answer because those are not very practical. And I think the real answer is to say do as best as we can with sanitation and water, because the two go together where you get the water compared to where you do your toileting. I think we have to do the best we can with what water they have available while we're trying to get good water supplies. And good water supplies you can't produce overnight, but communities need them, and that's what's going to make the difference in the long term, and they are doable. Yeah. So what does it take to kill germs if you're boiling? At sea level, if you bring the water to a boil, it will kill germs, just bringing it to a boil. Milk and water with other stuff in it boils at a different temperature, so milk probably needs to go for at least 10, if not 20 minutes. But water without stuff in it, just bringing it to a boil at sea level will kill bacteria. The ex even typhoid. The exception might be some of the spore sorts of clostridium kinds of germs, which might take longer. And where do you live? Where's your orphanage? Nigeria. Nigeria. So that should work. If you're at way high altitude, so if you're up in the plateau, where are you in Nigeria? Uh, we're eastern. Okay. So if you're near sea level, just bringing water to a boil kills bacteria and viruses. Um, if you're at way high altitude in the Himalayas or even 5,000 feet somewhere, then you might boil it for about five minutes. But just bringing it to a boil kills the bacteria. There were a couple other hands and thoughts. Yeah. 20 milligrams by mouth once a day for 10 to 14 days for zinc for kids more than six months of age. And it usually comes as 20 milligram pills, the way people make it. And you can smoosh the pill, crush it up, and throw it in their porridge or whatever. So zinc, 20 milligrams once a day for 10 to 14 days for acute diarrhea. Less than six months of age, half dose, 10 milligrams once a day. Nope. Total dose, 20 milligrams per patient. Yeah.
So a good report of somebody saying that what he does is he has engineers with him, and they have these bio-sand filters, a system that the water works through different sorts of sand, um, and then it purifies it to 99%, and then to be sure, you can put some bleach in it, and then bleach will purify it the rest of the way. Some would say if you're going to put the bleach in it, you don't need to do the bio-sand thing, but the way, real, real way to do it is have a more sustainable engineered system. So in Haiti, the bio-sand filters have worked a lot with no cholera in areas that we're using them. And there's good science. There are good data behind these filters that use sand. They look simple. It takes an engineer to develop it that understands it better than I do. But a lot of those systems indeed can work well. Thanks for that. Somebody else? Yeah. Um, I'm not a You're a real person. Good. <laughs> Aminocidina? Spanish speakers? Aminocidina? Aminocidina? We got pharmacists in the room. So the question is uh, a Spanish word, aminocidina. Um, that's useful for diarrhea used in Ecuador, you said? Ecuador, in El Salvador. I don't know what that product is. So my email is fisher.phil at mayo.edu. If somebody emails me and asks, I'll find an answer to the question. Um, and I'll tell you by email. And if everybody else wants to know, email me too and I'll tell all of you. Um, I have not heard of that. Anybody else know? Amino Serena. So I don't have an opinion because I'm ignorant. I don't know. Sorry. All right. Final question from anybody? All right. Thank you very much. Enjoy the conference. Oh, okay. And you've got the information about the wells? As you're walking out, if you're interested in those bio-sand water filters, if you go to www.haitiwaterproject.org, there's information. Once again, for our listeners at home, www.that's the easy part, Haiti Water Project, one long word, haitiwaterproject.org.